Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns here, host of the Primal Endurance Online Mastery Course. It's finally launched. We're so excited to share it with you. Let's hear what Lindsay Taylor has to say about it. Be on the lookout for upcoming announcements about the Primal Endurance Mastery Course that we will be releasing very soon. I just had a chance to preview it, and it is going to be so rad, you guys. And I'm not just saying that because I am one of the featured experts. I am really excited about it. Brad did an amazing job with this. It's going to be such a great resource for people who want to dive really deep into the concepts covered in the Primal Endurance book and in the podcast. It's really amazing, you guys. I'm super stoked about it. Welcome back to another show on recovery. This is part three. We're going to go to part four, probably. Uh, This is the critical topic of movement as the ultimate recovery tip. And this is a huge reframing of the traditional mindset perspective that sitting around was the key to recovery. And, oh my gosh, I remember reading in um, Lance Armstrong's War, that great book by Daniel Coyle, that the superstitions of the Tour de France cyclists where they tried to spend as much time off their feet as possible when they weren't riding their bikes in the race, that they were like, uh, you know, stressed if they had to get up and walk somewhere. They just had to be horizontal because they were so concerned about recovering from uh, the strenuous efforts every single day on the bike. Um, I know there's some research that even in a three-week Tour de France with healthy, young, athletic specimens, they have a significant decrease in bone density from not uh, walking around and not doing anything except pedaling their bike and sleeping and laying around for the duration of the tour. Um, Same thing with the astronauts. They lose their bone density so quickly up in space because there's no gravity. Um, It's amazing. Anyway, that's an aside. But when you're talking about recovery, we're going to change our mindset a little bit and realize that general low-level movement, just moving around rather than sitting around, will enhance the function of the circulatory and lymphatic systems and removing waste products. It'll enhance your insulin sensitivity and your fat metabolism, your fat oxidation, so that you have energy. You're not just laying around, craving more sugar, and burning that dirty-burning inflammatory glucose fuel because you're a slug when you're off the bike or off the running trails. So when you can get up, you can move around, you can stretch, you can get more oxygen delivery to the muscles, to the brain, this will actually enhance recovery. We've talked so much about movement uh, when we had that major point in the book, um, but we want to put it back in here and just remember it um, in the recovery section too, and I'll do a little bit of excerpting. Um, if you open up the throttle with a good session and they do a perfunctory cool down for five or 10 minutes and then plunge right into a cubicle life for hours on end, you're going to significantly hamper your recovery. You'll realize this when you feel stiff and congested when you do get up and move for the first time after a long time sitting or even the next day. So if you make an effort to move more frequently, even for a few minutes at a time, and especially in the hours after your workout and especially after a tough workout, I'm being emphatic here because it's such a change of mindset to think 
yeah, I really worked hard this morning at my sprint workout, so I'm going to be sure that I don't get out there and, and do any gardening or anything that would make me more tired or whatever this mindset is. So when you're instead making a mental note to get up and pace around during your binge TV watching in the evening because you did that hard workout and you're even more uh, susceptible to the negative effects of sitting around or you're more in need of movement, that is a nice little transition to make in your mindset. And monitoring your condition first thing in the morning, I think, is a way to zero in, focus in here, and make sure you're doing things right. That's when you can really notice the effects of insufficient movement patterns and also overtraining and inflammatory dietary habits. So the morning is when we wake up and we feel those stiff ankles, the stiff back, um, lack of ability to uh, kickstart into uh, efficient caloric energy production. So you feel alert and awake and energetic and you have a little buzz in your step, you have a little little skip in your step so that you don't mind, uh, you know, jogging down the road to, to get your dog out or just, you know, getting energetic and peppy. Um, we're from the modern world here, seem to be addicted to coffee, um, generally commiserating about how miserable mornings are. And we have little emojis and little sayings on the wall in the workplace. I hate Mondays and all these kind of concepts. But if you're fat adapted, if you're eating healthy and you're engaged in a healthy stress rest balance in your exercise programs, mornings should happen in a manner where you wake up feeling refreshed and energized and ready to tackle your busy day. A lot of this is hormonal. It has to do with your circadian rhythms. So exposing yourself to bright light as soon as you wake up, hopefully as near as possible to sunrise, will allow you to leverage your ability naturally to waken up, to awaken feeling refreshed and full of energy. You're getting that boost of serotonin. They call that the feel-good hormone. You're getting a spike, a desirable spike in cortisol. So cortisol spikes first thing in the morning to give you that energy, that focus, that motivation to get up. So when you're leveraging the hormonal processes like this, serotonin uh, takes the place of the predominant melatonin that happens in the evening and gets you to sleep and feel sleepy and stay asleep. So these hormonal transitions take place in conjunction with the rising and setting of the sun. That's why sleeping in does not really make up for uh, staying up too late at night or introducing too much artificial light digital stimulation after dark. So you want to get up, get going in the morning, be peppy. If you're not, if you claim you're not a morning person, you need your coffee first, let's suggest right now to do it anyway to get up and get outside, get some fresh air, take your dog for a walk and let the cobwebs clear, uh, leveraging the natural hormonal processes. So anyway, back to the, um, uh, the book and the concept of movement. The mornings when you feel your shortcomings, uh, you feel the stiffness in your ankles, possibly due to um, the inclusion of refined polyunsaturated vegetable oils in the diet, too much sugar in the diet, uh, too many grain foods, foods that are inflammatory, foods that stimulate leaky gut, that stuff's all going to play out as soon as you wake up. And then you get into your busy day and you get some hormonal processes going, you get some blood flowing and things feel better. But I think it's a good idea to see how you feel first thing in the morning, both musculoskeletal and hormonal and energetically. So the goal is to wake up with a peppy smile, a spring in your step, 
fluid joints that feel fine as soon as you set foot on the floor. And that's a sign that your diet's optimized, your exercise patterns, your stress levels are optimized. And boy, don't I sound like an enthusiastic host here. And I got to tell you, man, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, there are uh, many days, I don't know what the percentage is, you know, a fair amount of days where I don't feel that natural morning energy. And I definitely look back into my training patterns and realize that it's pretty tough to recover from high stress workouts. I mean, there's a lot of benefits from pushing and challenging yourself, doing sprinting, doing strength training, but sometimes I do feel the effects the next day. Uh, I feel a lot of stiffness in my joints because I'm trying to do an assortment of mobility, flexibility, and strength training exercises. I'm really big fan now of the uh, the rubber bands, the tubes that you put around your ankles and do all the uh, mobility work to help strengthen the glutes and get the muscles firing properly, uh, minimize injury risk. But these things make you sore. Same with getting in the gym and doing deep squats or doing the backyard stuff, the Tim DeFrancesco stuff. If you look on Mark Stanley Apple, type that name in the search bar, Tim DeFrancesco. He did a great guest post with some embedded videos. He also has his own website, TD, like touchdown, athletesedge.com, where there's an assortment of videos. There's a YouTube channel, uh, stuff like the sumo squats and the uh, elevated leg lunges. Oh my gosh, they're super, super good for functionality, functionality injury prevention. But the sumo squats made me sore for four days. So Tim, if you're listening, that's some good stuff right there, but ease into it and you just kind of manage that muscle soreness. Um, it's not a great sign, but it's a sign you know, that you did something unfamiliar and you're going to hopefully become more resilient to the same exercise as time goes on. So I'm working on it myself, but I do love those days where I'm clicking in and feeling good. And if you look at my morning routine video, Brad Kern's morning routine on YouTube. Oh my gosh, this has really, really helped. Now I'm looking at, oh, maybe 75 to 90 days in doing it every single day and forming that baseline of mobility and flexibility makes it so much easier the very next day and the next day and the next day to leverage the success that I've had from sticking to a morning routine where I'm stretching my hamstrings and extending my legs and sweeping my legs across my body, doing that stuff in bed doing some uh, scissor moves where I'm working the core really hard on the ground. As soon as I get up every single day, it's so much easier. And that's a highly recommended attribute to try to get those high energy mornings. So I think we've covered uh, the goal of movement uh, really well. But there's one uh, particular thing to note, and that is when you're dealing with an actual injury, instead of just trying to accelerate recovery in general, you need to make sure that your movement efforts are appropriate and don't contribute to any backsliding. For example, rehabbing a sprained ankle might involve doing some circular range of motion work and then progressing to working through range of motion with resistant bands, followed by actual weight-bearing activities. But if your ankle feels worse the following day because you were trying to uh, take the advice of the podcast host that said, move, 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 that's the best way to heal injuries, um, we got to use common sense here and back off and go back to the previous step where you're just doing some gentle mobility without any weight bearing on that ankle until it can take the next level of recovery, the next level, the next level. Of course, you see the reports from like 
athletes recovering from knee surgery and they've given clearance to go on the treadmill and walk and then they get clearance to go on the next step on the bicycle, then they can jog, then they can do some straightforward drills and then finally they can test out some cutting drills and then pretty soon they're back on the field getting beat up again in the case of football, um, even basketball. But they do have a methodical progression where you never want to rehab too aggressively. Um, interestingly, what I hear from my uh, friends that were uh, patients of hip replacement and serious deals like that, knee replacements or major knee surgery, there really has been a, uh, a widespread adoption of the importance of movement and aggressive rehab in modern medicine. So that's a nice um, uh, evolution from the old days where they put you in a cast and you were told to lay around and not move and not put weight on it for long periods of time uh, to make sure whatever in the name of the bone healing or the ligament healing. And now they're realizing, even with hip replacement, my brother was instructed to get up out of bed the same day and take a walk around the hospital. Incredible. So movement is key. Thank you for listening to the show on that topic. And we're going to wrap it up with um, one more show with a couple more, couple more concepts to talk about, and then we'll be all dialed with recovery. This is your host, Brad Kearns, for the Primal Endurance Podcast Show. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.